0: Tonight's reading is from 1 Kings chapter 8, and it's verses 1 to 30. That can be found on page 344 of the Church Bibles. Page 344, 1 Kings chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the Ark. And they brought up the Ark of the Lord, and the tent of meeting, and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the Ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrion poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place, and they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned round and blessed them Then he said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, The God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord, that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven, and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully, as you have done. And now, God of Israel... Let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be opened towards this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Natalie. Evening, everybody. We didn't read it, but the very last verse of this chapter uh, goes like this. They blessed the king and then went home joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. Quite simply, the aim of this shorter sermon this evening is that we would all go home joyful and glad in heart for the things that the Lord has done. We've got pressures, we've got worries, we've got stresses. It'd be good to have something to be joyful and glad in heart about. Now, I know that a few members of our church family were due to go to Israel um, this month. Are we still in October? No, we're in November, aren't we? Last month. Um, we thanked the Lord that their trip was pushed back a week so that they weren't in that country when the fighting began. Um, their plan was to do a tour of the Holy Lands, and I don't know what their itinerary would have been, but... I'm assuming that the Temple Mount would have been on the list. Yeah, I'm getting nods. Um, I've got a picture of it behind me here. Um, For Christians, for Jews, and for Muslims, the Temple Mount is a place of great significance. It's clearly important for Christians, because why else would um, people be going on tours there? Uh, Many of the stories of the New Testament take place around the Temple, so it's obviously of interest for us to go and see. Um, Today, it's still the holiest site for Jewish believers. Parts of the four walls surrounding the Temple Mount date back all the way to the first century. And you might know that the Temple Mount is also the third holiest site for Muslims as well, after Mecca and Medina. Um, According to their stories, that's the place where the Prophet Muhammad was supposed to have made his night journey to the throne of God. Um, And in the seventh century, when the uh, 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 following the Muslim conquest of Jerusalem, they built that dome there in gold that you can see. Um, That's the temple there. Um, But obviously, this kind of shared significance has resulted in rivalry and conflict throughout the centuries. The current war doesn't seem to be mainly about religion, but it's hard to ignore it there in the background. We can't ignore it as a factor. um, Today, The Jerusalem temple represents conflict and it represents division. But of course, it was meant to mean far more than that. We heard last week that King David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but God said it would be his son, Solomon, who would build that house. And as we read One Kings, we've jumped all the way to the dedication of that temple that King Solomon built. Um, you might want to think of the first night of the Olympics. Everything's been built, everything's ready, and now it's time for the opening ceremony. And in this opening ceremony, we discover that the temple was meant to be about three things. We'll put them up on the screen now. The temple was the centre of God's presence, God's faithfulness, and God's forgiveness. The temple was the centre of God's presence, faithfulness and forgiveness. We'll start with the first one. The first 13 verses describe Israel celebrating the temple as the center of God's presence. And now you might notice in the first nine verses that the ark is mentioned many, many times, eight times between verses one and nine. Picture a really grand parade. There's the elders of Israel, the heads of the tribes, the chiefs of all the Israelite Israelite families. There's King Solomon himself at the head of this procession. And they all walk ahead of this ark as it was carried from one part of the city up to the temple. The air would have been filled with the cries of animals and your feet would have been washed in the blood of those sacrifices. It was noisy, a bloody affair But eventually, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the most holy place, the inner sanctuary of the temple. And the final words in verse 9 about this Ark are these. There was nothing in the Ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. This ark was a visual reminder of covenant. It was a visual reminder that God was committed to live with his people. Um, But the fact that it also contained the Ten Commandments meant it was also a visual reminder of the people's commitment to live with the Lord. Um, But nevertheless, as the priests withdrew from the holy place, a glorious cloud descended on the whole temple court. And this is actually exactly what happened when the tabernacle was dedicated in the wilderness. Verse 11 says, the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. I mean, this glorious cloud must have been magnificent and, and quite fearful to see, really. This cloud was a, it was God's presence revealed. Um, that, that cloud filling the temple, it's stated in parallel to the glory of the Lord filling the temple. It's a glorious cloud. And in Hebrew, God's glory is his weight, his, um, his heaviness And that's not measured in kilograms or pounds, obviously. But when God's glory is revealed, the vast weightiness of his reality and majesty press in. Um, Kind of like the the sort of tension you feel in the air when a vast thunderstorm is about to hit. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 talks about a weight of glory. That glorious cloud was revealing that the vast, infinite God was present. Yet that cloud was also God's presence concealed. It shut out the priests from the holy place, and the darkness of this cloud also is a bit of a hint that the dazzling brightness of God's glory is, is being slightly covered. The temple was the center of God's presence. And the temple was the center of God's faithfulness. The whole assembly of Israel was standing there still with their mouths hanging open because of what they've just seen. And then King Solomon turns around and praised the Lord for his faithfulness. Verse 15. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father, David. And then Solomon continued to describe exactly what God had promised to his father. And then in verse 20, the Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel." This temple was the demonstration of God's truthfulness and his trustworthiness. Um, He promised David that Solomon, his son, would build a temple, and here it is. God is trustworthy, he is truthful, he is faithful to David and to his son Solomon. But not only to them. We didn't read it, but in verse 56, Solomon praises the Lord again. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. This temple showed God's faithfulness to his people as well. It, It truly and finally meant an end to Israel's wanderings. From Egypt and for so long since they were always on the move whether that's because they were um, had somewhere else to go they were without a home um, they were never settling a- uh, anywhere for very long um, because uh, they had to move on or because their enemies were stopping them from really feeling at home really feeling settled and even the Lord's presence with them was movable the ark was to be carried and the tabernacle could be folded up um, to be carried and moved on But this temple meant permanence. This temple was security, home, rest for God's people. Just as the Lord promised. What gives you that sense of rest? What gives you that sense of home? Coming back to the place you grew up or arriving home after a long walk maybe. That's what Israel felt as they saw this temple. Rest just as God promised. God made promises to David, God made promises to Old Testament Israel, and the temple was proof of his faithfulness. The third one, the temple was the center of God's forgiveness as well. This dedication ceremony sort of contains three movements, celebrating God's presence, praising his faithfulness, and then in the middle bit, praying for God's forgiveness. Again, before the whole assembly, King Solomon stood with his hands stretched out towards the heavens, and he prayed with a, a loud voice for Israel. It's a wonderful prayer that stretches all the way from verse 22 down to verse 53, and there are many, many requests, but I think they all unify and can be simplified into what Solomon prays in verse 30. Hear the supplication of your servants, and of your people Israel, when they pray towards this place, the temple. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Again and again in this prayer, Solomon faces up to the dark reality that all of us sin. We sin and sin and sin again. He walks through various circumstances in which we do this. We are spectacularly talented at twisting every opportunity into something short of God's glory, into rebellion. In verse 46, Solomon admits, there is no one who does not sin. He also, in this prayer, faces up to the unsettling reality that the Lord knows and sees every single one of our sins. Verse 40, you alone Know every human heart, every thought that has passed through our minds. God saw it. Every longing that stirred up in our hearts. God knows it. Old, Old Testament Israel strayed from their Savior God again and again and again. They muttered and grumbled against him. They went off with other gods and cheated on him. But there was always forgiveness at the temple. When they pray towards this place, forgive. Forgiveness in our society is becoming unheard of, really. As soon as someone falls, write them off forever. The modern day Pharisees trawl through years and years of um, social media evidence looking for one sin. And then they'll cancel you for good. But there is always forgiveness at the temple. Debts cancelled, chains broken, all record of wrongs wiped clean. That temple was the centre of God's presence, his faithfulness and his forgiveness. And the Israelites could look at that building and feel just a, a wave of joy and rest and acceptance sweep over them. As verse 66 says, No wonder they blessed the king and went home joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done. And of course, today, that Jerusalem temple is no longer a place of presence, faithfulness and forgiveness. It's actually notable that unlike when the tabernacle and Solomon's temple was dedicated, when the replacement temple was um, dedicated after exile, that cloud of glory didn't descend. God had different plans. We do still have a temple, and I think we know that today the center of God's presence, faithfulness, and forgiveness is Jesus and his church. John uh, chapter 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory. Jesus came as a new tabernacle, a new temple, and there's no concealing cloud in the way anymore. We have seen his glory. In fact, there's, there's one um, episode in the Gospels where the followers of Jesus are invited into a cloud to see his glory in all its fullness. Uh, that's the story of his transfiguration. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, wonderfully speaks of us as God's temple today as well. Um, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Jesus is the temple. The church is God's temple. So that same wave of joy, of relief, rest and acceptance can sweep across us as well, just like those Israelites in the Old Testament. Not when we look at a building, but when we look at Jesus, when we look at the church. Jesus and his church are the centers of God's presence. Since the coming of Christ we know without a shadow of a doubt God with us and his church joined to Jesus by faith. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. It's a stated undeniable fact God is with us but it it can also be part of our experience as well knowing that sort of tension in the air before the thunderstorm, that electricity when we're out on mission or when we're experiencing conviction of sin or where we're praising Jesus for the cross, knowing and experiencing God's presence, the weight, the heaviness, the majesty of his character pressing down on us. Jesus and his church are the centres of God's faithfulness as well. Every single promise God has ever made comes true in the birth, the life, the death, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Find a, uh, find a promise that Jesus doesn't fulfill and, uh, and f- show me, because I, I don't know one. And uh, the church as well. Um, are you ever in doubt that the Lord will be faithful to you? Just look at the history of God's faithfulness to the church. Or in miniature, um, go ask an older saint how the Lord has been faithful to them. They will tell you stories of, how, of promises fulfilled time and time again, how God has never left them or forsaken them. Our God is faithful. Jesus and his church are the centers of God's forgiveness as well. Just like Israel, we've turned away time and time again. Just like Israel, we've chased other gods and cheated on our Savior God. And yet, when we pray towards, not a building, but when we pray towards Jesus and his death on the cross, there is always forgiveness there. And the church should be a center of forgiveness as well, shouldn't it? I think we are. I don't think we're a, a judgy place to be. I think we do accept people as they are and allow God's, wor- God's word to do its work in their lives. But, but let's keep being that, a place of forgiveness as we are joined to Christ in faith. It is wonderful that the centre of God's presence, faithfulness and forgiveness is no longer a temple um, several thousand miles away. It's right here. And that is something to be joyful and glad in heart about. That is something to praise the Lord about today. Whatever stresses, whatever worries we have, presence, faithfulness, forgiveness. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are glorious and thank you that we behold your glory in Jesus. Thank you that we, we know your presence here among us now. You are mighty, you are majestic. There is no limit to your wonderful character. We pray that we would know that more and more. Thank you that you are a faithful God. You will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you love your people and you do not leave us alone. Thank you that there is forgiveness in Jesus. Thank you so much that however we have let you down this week, there is forgiveness in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.